And uh, our first Bible reading is going to be from Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through to 6. And uh, then uh, we're heading to Acts chapter 17. So grab a Bible, open it up at uh, Colossians chapter 4, and Alyssa is now going to come and read that for us. Thank you, Alyssa. morning church the first reading is from Colossians chapter 4 verses 2 to 6 devote yourselves to prayer be watchful and thankful and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should be wise in the way you act towards outsiders make the most of every opportunity let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. The second reading is from Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 34. When Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in a synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in a marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, what is this blabber trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heavens and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear from you again on the subject. At that, Paul left the council. A few men became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Uh, I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. 
Father, we uh, just want to thank you for the great blessing that we have to uh, receive your word. And Father, we pray that uh, by your spirit that uh, your word would be clear to us today and that uh, our hearts and our minds would be moved, that we would be men and women, boys and girls, who live more faithfully with Jesus as our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. It's great, isn't it, when uh, sometimes out of the blue a person uh, asks us a question about God. I, I was uh, remembering uh, once many years ago I was working for an accountancy firm and in our office uh, there was a man who was a leader in his church and there was a lady at work who came to him one day with a spiritual question. Uh, I go to church every week, she said, and I do everything that the church tells me to do. All of the rituals, all of the ceremonies, all of the services. But she said, it just doesn't seem to make any difference for me. Is there something which I'm missing? What is it? That's a great question, isn't it? I mean, what might have been missing for her? And my guess is it was actually the gospel, that the gospel was missing. She was seeking after some form of spiritual satisfaction, but how to get it remained a mystery to her. Yet you don't have to be a churchgoer to have spiritual questions. She asked that man, that particular man, that question because she knew that he was a church leader and of the particular denomination that she belonged to. But as we saw last week, as we serve the Lord Christ in our work, then we are likely to arouse questions. Uh, perhaps arouse questions from others because they see us as being different. Questions about why we're different and what is it that we believe. But this is not just a workplace thing, is it? Uh, it's in every area of life where we connect regularly with people. Uh, it might be uh, at school or at TAFE or at university or uh, in our workplace or in our club or in our neighbourhood. Uh, wherever we are in connection with people, people see the way that we live and may ask questions. If we are clothed, clothed with Christ, then we ought to expect people to notice that. So what if someone did ask you, how would you respond to them? In Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through to 6, which you might want to have open in your Bibles as we work through this this morning, uh, the Apostle Paul has some important things to say to us about this topic. The first of which is the priority of prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer, he says in verse 2, being watchful and thankful. Now, who would have thought? Who would have thought that Paul would open up a discussion on the topic of sharing the gospel by talking about prayer? Of course he would. Because sharing the gospel... It's not like any other form of persuading people. 
It's not like persuade, trying to persuade someone about your political party or your agenda about something else. No, it's fundamentally different because it's a spiritual issue. For in our natural state, we are all spiritually dead. And it's only God who can change that. It's only God who can breathe life into anybody, which is why we need to ask God to be doing that, which is why we need to be people who are devoted, as Paul says, to prayer. Now, the idea of being devoted to prayer can sometimes sound a little bit sort of super spiritual, can't it, as if it's for special people only, but that's not the case. Being devoted to prayer means being committed to prayer. Being committed to prayer because we know that only God can change hearts. Regular, heartfelt prayer for opportunities to share the gospel. Regular, heartfelt prayer for specific people. People we know. A school friend. A workmate. A family member. Notice what Paul says about how we should pray. With watchfulness and thankfulness. To be watchful means simply to be alert. Now, what does Paul mean by that? What does it mean to be watchful? Well, perhaps Paul is saying maybe don't be lazy in your prayers. Uh, Don't be someone who is completely unaware of the needs around you. I remember once, uh, some time ago, asking a man in Bible study uh, what I could pray for him about. And, and he was really blank. He said to me, nothing really, there's, there's nothing going on, there's nothing that needs prayer. Then I asked the same question of his wife and she listed to me several important things that were going on in their family uh, that needed prayer, uh, including evangelistic opportunities. She was watchful in prayer, but he wasn't. But I think that there's more to what Paul is saying here. Uh, In the Bible, to be watchful in prayer is often connected with the second coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus. That is, that we are to be alert and therefore driven by the knowledge that there is a day of judgment, which is the very reason why we should pray for people. And we can do so with thankfulness because we know that the great news of the gospel is that our friends can be saved from that judgment of God. Now, I think that we must be clear about this. The reason that we want people to become Christians is not so that we can grow our church. It's not even so that they can have a better life. Ultimately, it's because we want people to be saved from spending eternity without God in hell. That's why Jesus died and rose again. That's why we pray for people to put their trust in him. And it's why Paul, in verse 3, wants the Colossians to specifically pray for himself. 
Now have a look at verse 3, where he says, And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. You know, when Paul wrote this letter, he did so from prison. Uh, not exactly sure which prison he was in, because he doesn't say it. Was, it's most likely that he was in prison in Rome or in Ephesus. That doesn't matter. The important issue is the reason why he was in prison. The reason why he was in prison was because the message he proclaimed was more important to him than even his own liberty, his own freedom. And that message, says Paul, is the mystery of Christ. Now, what does that mean? In what sense is Christ a mystery? What is this mystery of Christ that he proclaims? Uh, Paul uh, took the gospel to places which were far away from Israel. Uh, he pioneered, he took the gospel into Gentile lands. But when he arrived in a city, where would be the first place he would go in order to preach the gospel? Well, there were often Jewish communities in these Gentile cities. And so Paul would take the gospel to them as a first priority. And he did so by preaching in the synagogues. And when he preached in the synagogues, he preached from the Old Testament scriptures. Now, there is mystery in the Old Testament. Uh, there is mystery about things such as sacrifices and temples and priests. And uh, there is a mystery about how the blood of a sacrifice can actually pay for our sins and reconcile us to God. And who is this? king that the Old Testament scriptures promise, this king who would come, who would be the ruler over God's everlasting kingdom. These are the mysteries of the Old Testament. It's a mystery. And friends, I want you to think about this. Imagine that your Bible only contained the Old Testament, <clears throat> that the last book in your Bible was not Revelation, it was Malachi, that there was no, there's no Gospels, there's no Acts of the Apostles, there's no letters to the churches, there's no, like first century Jews and like many Jews today, you would still be living in the fog of Old Testament mystery, not knowing the answers. But the answer to the mystery is Jesus he is the answer. Understand the gospel of Jesus and the whole of the Old Testament makes sense. Paul's responsibility was to proclaim the answer to that mystery, not with vagueness, not with confusion, but with clarity. And so he did so, firstly, in the synagogues. Uh, for example, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul visited the synagogue in the Greek city of Thessalonica, 
We're told in Acts 17 that he reasoned with the Jews from the scriptures, explaining over three Sabbaths, I think it says, explaining and proving from the scriptures that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. And he did so, making clear the mystery. That's the answer to the mystery. But for most non-Christians, the question is not what is the answer to the mysteries of the Old Testament. They want to know what is the answer to the mystery of my life. Is there a God? What is he like? What is my purpose? Who am I? And is there any hope for me for a second chance? They're the questions. They're the mysteries that many people have. Soon after Paul left Thessalonica, he went to Athens, uh, as we read in the scripture reading earlier on. Athens, a city which is renowned for its human philosophies, uh, philosophies asking the big questions of life, and a city which was full of idols to false gods. Yet they were a people without certainty and without hope. Paul, uh, in wandering around Athens, even stumbled across an altar which had an inscription to it which said, to an unknown God. And so he grabbed that opportunity to connect with people, to connect with both their hearts and their minds. Uh, He stood up and he started speaking to them and he said, you have an altar to an unknown God. So let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about this God who you don't know. Let me tell you about the God who created the heavens and the earth and who created man and who, as he made clear to them the the, the very reality which had been a mystery to them. The answer, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is the sort of thing which Paul asked the Colossians to pray about. That even as he was in prison, that God would open up doors of opportunity and that he would speak about Christ with clarity. Perhaps even to those who he had to answer to when he was on trial. And what this means, of course, is that for Paul, the Colossian Christians were partners with him in ministry that they were actively engaged in the fruitfulness of what he was doing uh, in his particular situation. And that is true for us as well, that we can be partners through praying for others, praying for those who are taking the gospel to other places, praying for others in our congregation, praying even for ourselves, that God would open up opportunities for us to share the gospel and to do so clearly. And when we pray for others, we are in very real partnership with them. But not only should the Colossians be prayerful, in verses 5 and 6, they should also be wise. Let's have a read of that. Verse 5. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, says Paul. Make the most of every opportunity 
Now, earlier in Colossians 2, we saw that there were false teachers that were hovering around the Colossian church. And these were people who gave the appearance of being wise because they had the higher knowledge of how to have a true experience with God. And they also had these extra laws and regulations about foods that you can't eat and drinks you can't drink and things that you have to do to your body, which appeared to be so wise, so spiritual. But true wisdom is about knowing the gospel and living God's way. That's wisdom. And that, of course, is always important. But here, in the context to which Paul, in, of what Paul is writing, it is especially important in our relationships with outsiders, with, with non-Christians. You see, people are more likely to ask us questions about our faith if they actually see us living our faith. Makes sense, doesn't it? I haven't always been a Christian. As a non-Christian, the thing which struck me most about most of the, of the Christians I met, although not all, but most of the Christians I met, uh, wasn't just that they went to church or that they prayed or that they read their Bibles. No, it was the quality of their character and the, the way that they cared for other people, including me. Over time, I just had to ask the question, what makes you different? What is it that you Christians believe? Now, for us as Christians, these are the kind of open doors of opportunity that we should be praying for. And to be ready, in verse 5, says Paul, to make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every opportunity. What does that mean? Well, this is actually an interesting phrase in the original Greek. And uh, it, it comes from the, the marketplace. Um, quite literally, it's, it means to buy back the time. But if I could put that into our context, what that might mean for us, it means something more like when you see a great deal at the shop... You snap it up, don't you? Because the sale ends today. You grab the opportunity because the time is short. But how should we snap up these opportunities? Well, in verse 6, Paul says, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer Everybody, full of grace, seasoned with salt. What difference does salt make to a conversation? Well, what difference does salt make to fish and chips? <laughs> it improves it, doesn't it? It makes it different, it makes it tasty, it makes it better, in my opinion at least. 
Recently, I was chatting with a non-Christian man about a topic which is very current at the moment. We were talking about COVID-19 and the restrictions, the lockdowns and all of the effect that it's having on us. And when he said to me in exasperation, he says, God only knows what's going to happen. I said to him, you know, and that's the great thing about this, isn't it? That God actually does know that there is a God who's in control of these circumstances. Now, it didn't particularly take the conversation any further, but it's that kind of salty comment which under God, uh, God can turn that conversation into a gospel opportunity. Not that we have to be clever or witty. No, far from it. Rather, it's that we should be thinking intentionally and we should be speaking Christianly into ordinary conversations in accordance with our own personality and our own opportunity to do so. And especially if someone should ask that question, why you were different or what do you believe? How would you answer that? Would you say to the person, look, I'm sorry, I don't really know, or um, I can't help you, or don't have time to speak to you about this, or would you mind asking someone else? The man in my office who was asked that question actually had no idea. He told the lady just to keep on going to church and doing the rituals. Friends, it's no longer a mystery. We can all talk about Jesus, about who he is, that he died to pay for our sin, that he rose again, that we can be forgiven by God and live with him forever if we trust in Jesus and turn back to God. It's profound, isn't it? And yet, it's so simple. It's not a mystery. It's so simple that we can all share the salt of the gospel with clarity to anyone who asks us. And do so, says Paul, not only with salt, but with grace. Um, I saw a man at uh, Port Central uh, who was walking around wanting to talk to people about Jesus. Good on him for doing that. Uh, But I saw him walk up to a young Muslim woman and bark in her face and say to her, you need Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, and walked off and left her feeling stunned and bewildered. That's a a heck of a lot of salt, isn't it? (laughs) And not much by way of grace. I had a chat with him about that later. And he showed me about the same amount of grace as he showed that lady. In a similar passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, when we share the gospel with someone, we are to do so with gentleness and respect. And I think that's what Paul means here by grace. Gentleness and respect. Which means not being rude to people, not harassing and haranguing people, 
but listening to them. Understanding where they are at and then clearly helping them to understand the Lord Jesus Christ. Which sometimes mean having, means having to be what I call a, a patient explainer. And that can be challenging at times. But that's the way that we'd like to be treated, isn't it? Uh, with salt, yes, but with grace. So let me encourage you uh, to pray for such open doors of opportunity. To pray for these open doors regularly, perhaps every day. And to pray for each other in that regard. And when those opportunities come, don't be shy, but be bold, trusting in God. Snap up those opportunities as if it's the last chance that you'll have to do so. That, as Paul says, you may make the most of every and every opportunity that comes your way. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for the uh, simplicity of the gospel, that in Jesus the mystery has been revealed, that it's no longer a mystery, but it is, that it is clear. And we pray for ourselves that uh, we would be uh, men and women uh, who, um, uh, to whom you give opportunities to uh, speak to those who are seeking after you about the Lord Jesus Christ. And as we do so, may we be bold and may we do so with clarity, not with vagueness, not with confusion, but clearly and simply uh, sharing with them who Jesus is, and what he's done for them and how they need to respond. And we pray these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.